Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, July 27th, 2019. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So this September, we will be marking 10 years of Model Rail Radio. Rather difficult to imagine 10 years ago that I could have projected 10 years' time. I would still be recording this very podcast, and what an amazing set of guests we have had over the past 10 years. But in order to celebrate this, I am going to the Narrow Gauge Convention, the American Narrow Gauge Convention, the US Narrow Gauge Convention. I wonder if this... Michael Dorney, do you know if there's a Canadian Narrow Gauge Convention? I don't think so. Um, there is a latent group called the Canadian Association of Railroad Modelers, or CARM. Mm. Okay. And they kind of rise and fall. And there is a magazine called Canadian Modeler or something like that, which... Mm-hmm is quite interesting because they've had a number of the unique pieces of rolling stock that the Canadians have that we don't Certainly. have down here. Yeah. But um, I don't think there is. Um, okay. Well, anyway, let me, uh, let me continue my rap and we'll, we'll get chatting in a minute. So I'm going to hold probably at least a meal, if not two, uh, at the Narragage Convention, catch up with folks that are going to be attending. I was rather sad to hear that Jim Gore will not be attending, but I understand years of very busy things to pack with stuff. But I do have on... I've already spoiled this introduction a little bit. The one and only Mike O'Donnell. Mike, you are going to be at the Narragage Convention, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to be in and out. Um, we have a bunch of modelers who live near me in Danville, and we're about mm-hmm. uh, about an hour and a half, two hours from Sacramento, and uh, four of the layouts on the tour are right around me, and they've asked us to pitch in and be like docents or mentors <laughs> so that uh, uh, one, one gentleman has two layouts. He has an outdoor one and an indoor one, oh, and he gosh. says... Uh, Pick one. You can be in charge of it. I said, okay, I'll take the indoor one. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, and it's rather, it's rather interesting because both of these layouts are being taken down right after the uh, convention. These, um, it's a, it's a part of life where people kind of downsize yes. and move into easier places. And, uh, um, fortunately they will be, they will be taken down in an orderly fashion because there's just an awesome collection of prize-winning models on mm. both of these layouts. So, uh, so let's talk um, a little bit about this because this always fascinates me. I, I understand the terminology we're taking down for an indoor layout, but can can you describe the gentleman's outdoor layout, the layout that you won't be in charge of at the Narragage Convention? Yes, it's a very beautiful layout. It's built on the side of a hill. Mm-hmm. He has a uh, a uh, G gauge narrow gauge, uh, principally chaise and uh, other, you know, short locomotives and the smallish rolling stock. And it just winds up around a very beautifully landscaped um, um, side of a hill with a nice trestle over the lake and mm. everything else. And uh, so it's just a nice, a nice looking layout. And uh, there's a few structures and uh, a lot of, not a lot, but a number of nice bridges. And uh, plus the fact that the track workers is quite nice. Um, he uh, he did a remodel job on it um, about four years ago, and he pulled up a bunch of track, and he says, well, it's going to take us a couple of weeks before we can put a new track down, because I got it on order, and the guy says he's back-ordered, so he won't see it for another <laughs> month. So I took all of his used track, and he had a rail bender, a, a little machine, which has got a set of rollers, so you can run rail through Gosh. and produce a nice, even curve. Well, I figure if I take curved rail and run it through, I can get a nice even straight. And I've kind of got a, um, I got pretty good man, you know, dexterity skills for things like this. And mm. I, uh, um, I have built things like, uh, curtains 
for rose windows, if you know what a rose window Simple. is. Yes. Or a half rose. I've made curtains for these. And in order to do it, you have to bend the track. And uh, it's essentially an aluminum track where uh, a bunch of rollers travel on. And I've mm-hmm. been very, I, I learned to get very good at that. And so I straightened out all the rail. And then the next weekend, we're putting new rail back down or a new old rail. And, uh, um, and I had a kind of a sense of um, you have a place to put rail. And you want to have the largest possible radius. So I would make sections of rail that were kind of not quite the minimum, but within a couple of inches so that when you bolted one end in place and then the other end in place, it all flexed evenly mm. and produced a, uh, a nice smooth curve. So uh, kind of, I don't, I don't even know the number, Just it just fit. Certainly. And, uh, so anyways. Can, can we talk a little bit about the gradient on this particular, I mean, you described it as a, a like it's on the side of a hill right so what is the gradient five percent that kind of shape prototype gradient or can you describe that i would say it's less than four okay i have and one thing bear in mind is that when you have a turn you have a gradient even if you're flat because it takes effort to go around a curve certainly and trucks will drag and i'm actually working on a data sheet for the nmra on that principle and uh, um, so it's, it's about a 4% grade, but I think, mm. like you say, it's Shea country. It's 5%. Um, I don't know how much a Shea did in real life. In other words, what were the worst grades on a logging railroad? Were they in the 5 right. or 6% range, or did they get up to the 10% range? I've heard of 10% in some absolutely nightmare cases. I mean, I think they're the extreme cases, and I, I there are locomotives that are lighter with better traction. I'm not sure what... Shay's limits are, but I seem to recall hearing about. But these were, I think, with like lighter locomotives with better traction than Shay's, if I remember correctly. Well, I think a Shay is a pretty primitive drivetrain. Certainly, uh, in in that all the axles are moving at the same rate, and if you were to create a locomotive with some form of differential or mm-hmm. some simulated differential with uh, conical tapered wheels. Uh, you could uh, actually produce a one or two percent more um, traction than simply uh, the straight, the straight uh, Shea type gearing, uh, essentially. But um, you know, but they did manage to do amazing things. Plus the fact that if you're in a logging camp, there's got to be a donkey engine somewhere. Yes. And if you've got a locomotive going up a hill, um, it's nothing to prevent you from getting a long piece of cable and pulling it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, and plus the fact that pretty much. Full trains went downhill. Empty trains went uphill. So uh, you have some something in your favor. And, uh, but but yeah, as far as far as Sacramento goes, um, I'm sure there are a number of places to meet that uh, that would be a a good place for model railroaders. Uh, I'm definitely. thinking of the the old Spaghetti Warehouse, mm-hmm. it's a former Western Pacific Terminal train station. Yeah, uh, and that's a you know not an overly expensive place. Hmm. And I did want to uh, ask you about the indoor layout as well. Sorry, I think we're kind of getting ahead. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, indoor so layout. Yeah, that is. What, that what is does the a, indoor layout look like? Yeah, I believe it's a model of a logging camp up closer to uh, to Reno. Hmm. It's got a, got a really beautiful, a beautiful sawmill in it, mm-hmm. which it's kind of funny because the sawmill has won prizes, but to see it, you almost have to. Uh, have you ever been on a step ladder? Oh yes. Which, that you had steps every six inches because mm. one step is too low and the next one is too high. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in that 
situation. And, uh, and if you're an incredible nerd like me, you will take two step ladders, cut them in half, and one side will be 12, 24, 36, and the other side will be 6, 18, 30. Yes. But I mean, uh, um, you've got to be a nerd to think that way. Have you and, actually uh, done that? Or is this just yeah. a, you have? Okay. It, I actually I did tricks with Bart. I worked for Bart, mm-hmm. and I would find that I could. There are pl- places working on a train car where you literally need to be within two inches, and I would basically build platforms to stand on and stick my head in. And I had essentially two inches of vertical clearance, um, an inch side to side, and maybe a half an inch front to back, mm. and uh, literally. I would put on these cheater glasses, you know, the ones you get at the drugstore, the 3.0s and 3.25s. Mm-hmm. And there were times, there were times when a 2.5 would not work and a 2.0 would work. It was that that tight environment. Of course, the big thing is, the more light you have, the more depth of field you have. So uh, um, that was the the key was, you know, get your head just right and get the light just bright, and then you could work on things. But some of the stuff was just, you know, well nigh impossible um, to get into. I mean, generally the smaller people with you know essentially that wore like size six and a half hats would fit perfect so mm. uh, and, uh, okay so precision so is this relating to i'm just trying to imagine i mean my perspective with regards to step letters is they're not particularly ideal but certainly i can kind of fake roughly six inches by leaning and right. various other things so you gotta be you can see this sawmill okay uh, <laughs> within a foot maybe Okay. But you got to be at the right height, and you can have a really good view of it. You can be three or four inches lower and still see a decent amount of it. And I should take a picture of it, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I can give you a better idea because it's it's. I think there may be eighteen inches of ladder or vertical movement to see it because uh, I do remember seeing it and having to kind of position a little step stool a number of times to get a really good view of all the all the stuff going on in it. But when it comes out, it'll be quite visible, and there'll be lots of pictures, because when it comes out, there'll be a story on taking it apart. Yes. And, uh, so, I had an but, experience but, at the O-Scale convention where I had to take some steps up a ladder, then turn around, and then lean backwards to look at something. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is similar in terms of uh, you know experience. So everything's coming down after the convention, and right. you say a good majority of the interesting stuff is being rescued. Yes, it'll get offered, and people will people will snap it up. Mm. Uh, in other words, the the gentleman is not planning on making a killing selling off the pieces. So, uh, and no reasonable offer refused, if you know what I mean. Certainly. And uh, um, so it's kind of it's I, I to go down a rabbit hole. I think the thing to realize if you have six model railroaders over the age of seventy together every two years either one of them or one of their wives will either die or go into a nursing home mm. so uh the mortality table is pretty brutal for model railroaders mm. and, and uh so i mean it's we are we are fully aware and we have uh we all have fairly global plans on if i die tomorrow this pile goes to the european club and this pile goes to the north american club <laughs> and uh um but it's it's a reality, and uh, the hobby is is quite aging. Well, in certain sectors, I mean, I think the hobby is changing. Is the term yes. that I would prefer to use here, because I think certainly what I've seen through doing this podcast is that 
there is a good group of folk that are coming into the hobby as well. I mean, the nature of the hobby as being a static thing is the way that people tend to look at it associated with it, you know, aging, dying, whatever the terminology would be. Anyway, right. let's talk a little bit more about the Narrow Gauge Convention, because sure. I'm fascinated to hear that layouts as far as Danville are on the roster. I probably need to do my homework a little bit better. But in terms of the layouts that are coming out for the convention, are you planning on visiting any? Are there any that uh, of interest to you? Uh, yeah, I'd like to visit as many as I can, because fundamentally, um, narrow-gauge modeling is essentially, uh, a good chunk of it is people doing HON30, which means the actual models are O-scale, hmm. but the track is HO. So hmm. you get to see a lot of detail in cars and locomotives that, granted, even the prototypes are nowhere near as big as the big boy railroads, but still, it lets you know what's possible, so what you can achieve. Uh, whereas, if you just go to an O, if you go to an O scale club and see, you know, true, true, two real scale O, mm -hmm. you see, you see beautiful stuff, but you know, I really can't do that in HO. And uh, um, but yeah, I do plan on visiting. Well, I think one of the one of the things we're learning to do in the Bay Area is uh, I call it sortie management from the military standpoint. And you think of going from San Jose to Sacramento not as a trip, but as a mission. And one of your sorties <laughs> will be, is to catch the layouts in Danville. And hmm. um, that's, that is what we're looking at. We had a, we had an amazing discussion in, in Salt Lake city at the national about the whole dynamics of managing a region and a division hmm. in a big geography. And I said to the guys, I said, listen, um, we used to joke how, the bad thing about living in Michigan, you have to drive two hours to go to an op session. And uh, I live near San Jose. And in the same two hours, I can go to San Jose and go to an op session. <laughs> and uh, mm. um, the traffic here being so bad that you think of, I think of Danville to San Jose as more often than not a two-hour trip. And uh, uh, whereas 20 years ago, it was an easy 45 minutes. Yes. Thanks so, um, that. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, we're, we're basically looking at it in the, in the standpoint of, of People coming because there is essentially demographically there's a huge chunk of modelers in the San Jose, Mountain View, mm -hmm. San Carlos, um, Santa Cruz that area, and then from say Milpitas up to say um, to probably um, downtown Sacramento, there's probably about four modelers, mm. and then they pick up again. So from downtown Sacramento well up to Reno, you have modelers every two miles. Certainly. So uh, those are your two biggest nodes of model railroaders around. around um, so what, what are you looking for specifically? What layouts are you looking to revisit or see for the first time? Well, I, uh, I've, I've tended to have seen a lot of the logging and mining railroads. So whenever anybody does a narrow gauge that has either a military theme like the uh, uh, War Department Light Railways or a... Uh, industrial theme, you know, like, say, the Guinness Brewery or, say, uh, uh, the Slate Railways of Wales. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's interesting to see a different commodity besides, um, you know, minerals and wood. Certainly. And uh, so I, I – plus the fact that it's just refreshing to see good modeling. Mm. And, so are there local models of the Guinness factory? I don't know. Um, I, I, I am surprised there are not because the Guinness Railway – 
They even had a Helix indoors. Yes. And, did Virus evolve to model that? Do I remember correctly? Did I recall through some period of time someone was modeling the Guinness factory and I talked to them periodically and they took photographs. I don't think it was the professor. It was someone. Let me, let me check my archive notes here. Yeah. But I remember talking to someone quite frequently and seeing photos. Uh, let me see. It's probably Guinness. Well, one it? of the, one of the things we're talking about is going to England in 2021, mm. 22, 2022 is England. Yes. And, 2021 uh, is Santa Clara. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we're, a lot of us are talking about either flying into London mm-hmm. and catching all the stuff around London, like Normandy and Bletchley Park and uh, mm-hmm. the Bovington Tank Museum of Bovington. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it's about a day and a half up. away. It's on my list. I was thinking of doing it from one day from London, but the trains, I, I think if you drove there, it would probably be you could do it in a day. But if you're right. lying on trains, unfortunately, Bournemouth is just such a, uh, well, you're going to waste basically a good portion of your time getting to it by train. So, yes. Well, the, 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 the gimmick, the sortie, uh, the mission of Bobbington <laughs> is this. Um, you leave from London by train. You get to Bobbington. You see the tank museum. Then you get over to Portsmouth and you get on a ferry to Normandy and you sleep on the ferry. You get a room on the ferry mm. and get over to Normandy. So that's my way of solving the exact same problem. Right. And, uh, um, so, uh, but you're right. Uh, but if you're in London at the same time as me, between the two of us, we can rent a car. Without and, uh, question. Yeah. No. And, uh, I mean, the, the whole cost effectiveness of having two people to rent a car is just, is just, uh, I tend to super. avoid renting. Although we did rent a car when my wife and I went, maybe when we went to see Andy Dixon, we had a car. Yeah. But I actually like traveling by rail in the UK and it means obviously it's a bit more eccentric, a bit more eclectic. But, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I, my preference is always train in the UK and much sometimes to my wife's chagrin. Although we're doing exclusive train this trip. So okay. it's well, just a matter of working it out. It's, it's doable. It's just not doable in the day trip when you're based in London as I've had to find this trip. So, yeah. Um, well, I think that, um, if we put our heads together, we can come up with, you know, if we had four people going down to Bobbington, <laughs> you know, then you, then your cost per person for the car is like, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. Yes. And, uh, you don't even worry about it. Yes. So, uh, and then, then get over to Normandy any way you want. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, um, the, the whole London trip is turning into a three week expedition anyway. And, uh, <laughs> um, the other thing is that depending on the tickets that you get, you can get like a $700 ticket to, to Dublin. And then uh, spend a few days checking out Dublin and Irish Railways and Guinness and all that. And then take the ferry over to Wales and check out Wales and mm. then get to Birmingham. Yes. So, uh, uh, but, I mean, yeah, there's, there's arguments on which end of the trip do we do the Wales narrow gauge and which end of the trip do we do the um, Bletchley Park, Normandy, Bobbington stuff. Mm. So, uh, and, I've uh, done the Guinness uh, factory. We honeymooned, actually, in Dublin because we were married oh, in nice. England. So, uh-huh. no, I remember the Guinness factory well. And, yes, narrow gauge to the extreme, I think, is the Guinness factory from memory. Isn't it? Yes. Isn't it 22-inch gauge or something it's, like that? It's Yes, and the helix is pretty impressive as well. So, yeah. Is it, is it still there? Uh, well, I, I can't recall. I think there might have been a drawing of it, but you oh, get okay. a sense of it. I'm yeah. not sure. It might still be there. 
My memory is hazy. I've been married, I don't know, 17 plus years now. So maybe the Guinness factory is a little bit hazy, but let's, let's move on from this, Mike. Let's move on from this. So in terms of your club, in terms of your general updates, is there anything that you'd like to talk about today? Well, let's see. Uh, my, uh, model train club, we are meeting in Sacramento every month. Uh, it's an operating club. We're getting into doing more uh, sophisticated operations. In other words, right now, you leave the yard with a dozen cars and you have a switch list and you have a dozen places to put the cars and every place you put a car, you pick up a car mm-hmm. and you bring it, bring it back. Now, that sounds simple. Uh, in some cases, it's pretty complicated because you have trailing point and you have facing point switching. Now, um, with some of the trains, if you get a train that's essentially the end of the line, at the end of the line there is a loop because the club is built for people who want to run trains round and round in a circle. Mm. So at the end of every loop, there is a loop. So you have a double track loop and your train can just go around. You can sit there and take your, you know, your Western Pacific uh, 484 and you know, 10 cars, 10 passenger cars and go round and round all day long. And the dispatcher will let you go. And certainly when you come to a point where he has to let another train out, he'll stop you. But I mean, you'll, won't be stopped long. Mm-hmm. So when you're switching the end industries, you can essentially do all your trailing point stuff first and then go around the loop and come back. And now all the facing point stuff is now trailing point and it makes for a real quick train. Now here's the catch. Mm-hmm. The club uses what's called a 15 inch track. So mm-hmm. you have typically five and seven inch tracks spaced from the front, the main lines. And then once you get into the module, there is a track 15 inches back. And that's intended to be on every module, but it's not always there. Mm. So so sometimes to get into the back back of the module, you have for room for one loco and one car. Now, I have been known to cheat and pull a little SW1500 out of my pocket and stick it in the back. <laughs> and with Digitrax, you have you have two knobs on a Digitrax throttle. <laughs> Just dial up the second one and get everything and pass it through that one car opening. And that way you can do two at a time because you don't have to take your loco. You just put the two cars and then back up and let the other loco pick it up and take it out to the main line. And um, uh, the good thing is that if you are the switcher, you are entitled to what's called track one. In other words, the closest one to the edge of the layout. So anybody running round and round, since they're going through the loop, they go into the loop and come out. They can come out on the same track, and you can, you know, you can hog track one. They'll use track two. So you're not, you are not holding them up. You are holding up the next guy behind him a little, but not a lot. And uh, so now the second thing is that many of the modules have what's called a track zero, which is a third track that is very close, within a couple inches of the edge of the layout, which. You obviously don't like to leave stuff there and walk away because it'll fall on the floor. But when you're there, you can use to park, you know, extra cars and, you know, run around your train and stuff like that. So, so it is fun. It's just a lot of fun, but we are looking at making it a, um, two types of trains. One where you just sit there in a, you sit there in two modules and all you do is move cars around those two modules. Mm. And every, every half hour, a train comes along, dumps off four cars for you and says, you get any for me and you give him four extra cars. So we're working on something a little more sophisticated. So that's kind of kind of on our radar. And uh it's it's been kind of hot this summer. So mm. people people have been taking vacations, so we've had smallish layouts. 
and uh, we um, we tend to pick back up in September and have a full size, full operating lab. Plus, we have a certain amount of we have a room at the end of we're in a church. Mm-hmm. It's in a, it's in a fellowship hall, and the fellowship hall at the end is like a one of these accordion type doors mm. that, that we can open up and extend the layout another another eight modules into that area. Mm. Which, granted, we wind up. We wind up losing our meeting space when we have a meeting, but we'd rather operate than have a meeting. So if you, you say, hey, listen, there's no place to sit down, so sit in the hallway or we'll go use a library or, you know, we'll find another spot in the church to, to meet. So, or even the sanctuary for that matter. And, uh, cause it's not being used. <laughs> so, uh, so that's, it's coming along and we're getting, we're getting more and more members. And, um, we, um, the, from what I gather, the NMRA has stopped declining. It's kind of flat. Mm. So uh, I know that the Coast Division has gone up by six members. The division, when I went to the convention, the division that's hosting the convention said their division is up by about 30 members. They mm. said the rest of their region is flat, you see, but they're growing. You can't use yeah. these kind of terms as you did a little earlier, like O'Donnell. The, the hobby is not shrinking at all. It's just new folk are it's, coming out. It's, it's getting wider, basically. Mm. <laughs> and uh, like you say... It's no longer a quote static hobby. Mm. Um, uh, for the most part, we used to build models that our emphasis was on the static model, either how what the locomotive looked like or what the building looked like. But now the emphasis more is more on we want the layout to move, and even if we're not operating per se, we want it to be automated so that it runs itself. And uh, so, uh, in other words, you want to see something move. And uh, obviously, you when you have the public. There, they don't want to see an operating session. They don't mm. want to see you switching cars. They want to see trains moving. But uh, certainly. you know, but it's certainly um, when you and I visit a layout and they happen to be doing an operating session, it doesn't bother us to see some guy, you know, doing setouts and pickups and uh, having to run around a train and uh, stuff like that. We we've been there. We've done that. So uh, and uh, uh, but yeah, it's it's um, the individual members themselves are getting older, but we're getting more. Uh, more new blood in. I think demographically we are we we are hitting the point where Generation X, which traditionally did not produce a lot of modelers or craftsmen in general, is being replaced by a lot of millennials who are now getting wealthy enough and old enough to to get involved in the hobby. Mm. So uh, um, it's it's a uh, I mean, 15 years ago most millennials were like maybe you know, 20, 22 years old, but now they're getting to be, you know, 30, 35, their kids are in high school. How can that work out? Millennials were born around the millennium, right? Yeah, a little before, yeah. A little before, but in that age, I mean, my perspective is maybe late 20s, certainly not early 30s, but in this, but it is interesting. I mean, I think I'm one of these evil generation Xs, so it's interesting that you pointed out. I think the nature of Generation X was just about survival more than anything. And I think many of us are now in positions, and you certainly see this through the, you know, the professor is a Generation X. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things about Generation X is that they tend to get beat up by stereotypes, and the stereotypes don't apply to a lot of them. Certainly. And uh, you, you get the feel for the stereotypes because the advertising targets the stereotype and not the... Yes. The, I won't even say niche. I would say the silent majority of the Generation X. But uh, anyway, by and large, I, I think we're digressing here, Mike. We have a exactly, huge number yeah. of people that are calling in. I, okay. I don't want to get into these kind of things. You've given, I think you've given a pretty good update 
associated with where things are currently. Please do stay on the line. You know how we do things. If anything comes up, feel free to join in. Uh, But yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up with you in Sacramento. I'm sure we'll be able to find at least two locations to have get-together meals. I know there are going to be a number of folk. I know Malcolm Johnson, for example, has recently moved to Sacramento. So there'll be people there that aren't necessarily attached to the Narragage Convention. But it'll be great to catch up with you once again. Sounds good. Okay. I'll I'll go on mute. Talk to you then. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who ticks all the boxes. Narrow Gauge, Garden Railway, Neil Erickson. Welcome back onto Model Rail Radio. What is your... Are you you going to be at the Narrow Gauge Convention? Yeah, Tom, I'm hoping to. I um... I'm actually working on my flight plans this week. My wife and I haven't quite figured it out because there's things going on in my family that may make it difficult, but I want to go and and I'm looking forward to seeing you. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Did we meet previously at Portland? Do I remember that correctly or? Uh, Portland. Yeah. You know, I think we had lunch with Dave Reese and a bunch of people. I don't remember who all was there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So it'd be good to catch up with you again. So in terms of the narrow edge convention, if you get there, yeah. What are you looking for? What interesting stuff do you look... I mean, you're a narrow gauger, right? So this is your convention. What stuff are you looking <laughs> yeah. for? I, I am also an ON30 modeler, um, and I think I mentioned that before. And my interest is rather eclectic, so mm. things, that, things that I can modify that will look like they belong in Hawaii. Cool. Um, so it's, uh, it's always a challenge, but a lot of the equipment from the Rio Grande Southern and the uh, Denver and Rio Grande came to Hawaii after they folded. So, you know, from 1930s on until the, the close of the railway on Oahu, we had a lot of uh, equipment from the mainland. It was pretty cool. So there's a lot of things I can use. Should be fun. Terrific. So are there any particular clinicians, any layouts, anything like that that you're thinking about? No, I just want to get there and be part of it. I, I haven't even looked at the agenda. I don't know if I mentioned that I have a, a, some properties in Hilo, uh, commercial properties, and, and maintaining them and having someone take over as well as our farm, mm. um, someone to take care of the horses. It's just a, a coordination nightmare, but I'm, okay, I'm going to be there. Wonderful. And so when I get there, I'm just going to take it as, uh, as it comes. You know, whatever, whatever's available. You and yeah. me both. You and me both, believe me. <laughs> Similarly, yeah, we're going up to Sacramento this weekend just to see – like how doable it is. My wife's got a, I think a three or four day course and I'm going to work remotely, just get the lay right. of the land. And if we like the place that we stay in this time, we'll stay in it again um, for the narrow gauge convention. But these things for me, I just find incredibly interesting and overwhelming and it all kind of assembles yeah. itself in front of me. So you and I are both in, in similar minds associated with this thing. So, well, I think that you agree that a lot of these things we go because we want to meet people that we've been communicating <laughs> with over the year, you know, and, and it's the thing where you catch up with friends and family. All the same reasons you, you have this show, you know? Exactly. No, I mean, that's what I love. I, I have very fond memories of uh, chatting with Jim Gore and Duncan McCree and Terry Terrence, uh, yeah. at the O-Scale, and obviously Mawa, uh, a wide variety of folk turned up for a meal there as well, so... Yeah, I look, I go obviously for the people. And I think what fascinates me is, you know, things like dead braille and a wide variety of the technical stuff. If Duncan McCree's there, he and I are going to be having, you know, a technical discussion about a wide variety of things. So always good catching up with Duncan. 
But oh, yeah. yeah, in fact, there's so much been introduced through the dead rail stuff oh, with yes. Duncan supporting that. Um, I'm very excited to learn about what's what's coming on the well, he, I on think the marketplace. You know, he's he's done a deal with Blue Rail, right? They're now releasing stuff together. So, yeah, so it's supposed yeah. to be in, an integrated system where you can use um, your own DCC decoder, so it'll have its own onboard sound, right? Hmm. So that should be interesting. Yeah. It's been so hot here, and I'm up in the train room right now trying to run <laughs> feeders underneath I'll, the layout. I'll let just... you get back to it, Neil. I, I really do appreciate you calling in. And believe me, I similarly will arrive and probably consume what is going on within a few you know, minutes of actually getting back up to Sacramento. So right, right. I'm looking forward to And I'll to certainly post you. some photographs of how I'm doing on the layout because I've been following along on, on the Facebook page, and it's Wonderful. a lot of fun, and I, I look forward to meeting all these people that are involved. So thank you. Very cool. I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for calling in, Neil. Aloha. I'd like to welcome back on a gentleman I was only speaking with last show, but look, I've seen some amazing camping footage. I've never seen someone like roast a chicken and do a bunch of other stuff. Brendan, aka Spacky, you and Roz and, and uh, maybe one or two other folk, you're currently camping and also like rail fanning as well. Can you describe what you're doing currently? Well, at the moment, I've got some lemon and pepper chicken cooking on the uh, barbecue plate with <laughs> poles with a lid over the top of it. Wonderful. And we're going to have some bacon and eggs in a minute for breakfast. <laughs> then we're going to spend the rest of the afternoon out chasing trains in the Crystal Brook area. We're at the caravan park there at the moment. So what have you seen so far? Or have, have the trains not yet arrived? Oh, we heard one go through earlier. I reckon it was a PN train. I, know, I had a G-Class or something on the front of it, I think. Mm. Heard him come fair, while, fair way away. And Don's going to plan the trains for the uh, afternoon of what we're doing. So I'll hand you over to Don. Okay. And I can explain what we're doing. So here's Don just about to speak now. G'day, Tom, how are you? Hi, Don. Always a pleasure chatting with you. So who's, who's yeah. responsible for this chicken? Uh, that's Brenton's job. Wonderful. Uh, he's got a fabulous <laughs> butcher in Port Augusta. Gosh. Uh, I was up there the other day um, booking caravan sites and that, and... Uh, Went to the butcher and bought three kg of this lovely chicken to bring home, and it's all sitting in the freezer. Wonderful. So we, we live well. It's the best lemon lemon pepper chicken anywhere in Australia, I reckon. I can't. I, camping has just moved up a notch since I last did it. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm you, yeah, Brenton. He's a, he's camping, and I'm glamping because I got the caravan up here. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Are the, is the cat? Are the cats with you? Yes, they are. Yep. Gosh. Okay, you yeah, travel in luxury. Come, yeah, they come with me. They've got their little cages where they can sit outside in the uh, gosh in the sun. But uh, they mightn't get much out time today because we'll be on the road by ten o'clock, I reckon, uh, tracking down all the trains in this area. So, what are you anticipating get, in terms of trains? Uh, we probably get. We'll certainly get the GAN. That'll be three o'clock mm. this afternoon gosh. going to Darwin. Uh, we'll get probably four, five, six, maybe seven freight trains of assorted varieties. Wonderful. SCT, Pacific National. Wonderful. Uh, it's a great great place up here. So as I have you on the line, and I so rarely get to chat with you, what's going on with your layout? What's happening with model railroading and Don currently? Uh, model railroading? Um, part of the Western Wall storage area has been pulled up so I could use the point work to make the, the new exhibition layout. Uh, I'm going to rebuild Gosh. that western area, um, and then uh, 
hopefully get back to it. But the, the strange thing, you know, I've, I haven't got that much interest in the layout at present. Um, I'm more interested in building HO scale model trucks, as in road trains and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they can all be associated with the, the layout. So uh, that, that will that will come back online shortly. The are boys you... are pestering me to get it going again. And they're radio controlled, are they, or are they just models? No, no, just static models. Okay, okay. Because the guys in the UK do all these radio controlled things now. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen some of that. It's amazing. Interesting. But these these are modern prototype trucks, or are they? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, all, all modern day stuff. Yeah, Kenworths and Whites and all that sort of stuff that we see here in Australia using the the Promotex brand trucks, which suit for Australian purposes really nicely. Right. Build uh, them up into Aussie road trains. I've just taken some photographs <laughs> of a three-unit um, grain train out here at the gra- uh, grain truck out here at the depot, which I want to build. It's um, normal thirty-foot trailer, and then a B-double. Twin 30-foot trailer, so it's quite a monster. Gosh. And it's got all billboards down the side. It looks really good, so we can print those off and make something a little bit different. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, the road trains in Australia are a different phenomena. I mean, they have some here, but nothing like the ones in Australia. Kind yeah, of Mad Max-esque, yeah, those that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, general road train is two 40-foot trailers. Yeah. Uh, we've also got the B-double, which is a 20-foot and a 40-foot. Uh, we're now getting um, on the road to... Adelaide to Perry, we're getting, well, they still want to call them B triples, so they're, they're three 20 foot trailers, all articulated, or we've now got a 40 foot trailer and then a B double behind it, so it's a 40, 20, and 40 on Gosh. the road. Uh, we get up north, you get three 40 foot trailers. Um, a, <laughs> I did a on Foxtel called um, Outback Truckers, yeah. uh, and all road trains there, and there's a, uh, two guys who go around drilling for water. Um, they've got a three-unit road train and a four-unit road train oh my with all their equipment. <laughs> yeah. Amazing monsters they are. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all their cattle trucks up north, they're all certainly bi-level, uh, and the sheeps are tri-level, uh, three-unit, three foot units, so they're pretty big fellas too. So uh, if you're into trucks, yeah, Aussie's the place to come and watch the, <laughs> the road train. Very definitely, very definitely. Well, it sounds like you've got a packed day, Don. It sounds like everything's happening, yeah, yeah. so I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but it's always a pleasure catching up with you and uh, Brendan as well. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the day and take plenty of photos. Yeah, oh, we will. We've got a uh, reasonably good blue sky at present, so it should be a good day. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, and Ros is there as well. Good. Pass yeah, my regards yeah, to yeah. Ros as well. Yeah. Okay, she's coming up. Oh, is she? Okay. Um, how you going, Tom? Hey, Ross. What do you know? Oh, not a lot. Not a lot. It's stinking hot here, yeah. so I'm uh, enjoying vicariously thinking about the weather where you are currently. Oh, yeah. Not too bad here. Not too bad at all. So what are you looking forward to seeing today? The GAN? What else? Well, hopefully everything I can get, because I'm still um, pretty shaky with these damn cameras. Even with the, the, the tripod, I, I actually set it up for a, like a Pentrax shot. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I wobble too much and I have a lot of trouble trying to pan throughout the, these other guys. Nice and steady. But, uh, yeah, no, it should be a good day. Wonderful, and wonderful. As far as my modelling goes, yeah, I'm sort of slowly getting back into it. Well, I've seen videos from Jim. I mean, he seems to be videographing when you're running trains on a periodic basis. So it's nice to see trains actually running around. And, I mean, it seems to be coming close to operating, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's slowly there, but uh, 
yeah, I've had a few little electrical glitches due to dampness. Mm. But, uh, yeah, yeah no, it's coming good. Wonderful. Well, well and steady, yeah. Well, enjoy your day and great catching up with you. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Tom. Yeah, take I'll care. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Okay, right. Hey, Tom, I'll have to send you some photos on um, Facebook of the trip. Definitely. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed the ones I've seen so far, hence I knew about the chicken and various other things. But, yeah, you're certainly doing camping right. I've got to hand it to you. Yeah, and what's even better is the highlight of the day is we're chasing trains. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, have a fun day. Always a pleasure chatting with you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. No worries. Thank you. We'll we'll catch up with you later on, Tom. Great. See ya. See you later. <laughs> and I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who isn't camping currently, but is talking to us from South Australia, Jim Gifford. You missed out on this trip by the sounds of things. Yes, the boys. I was uh, having a video chat with them last night, and uh, they were next to the bonfire enjoying themselves. So, well... Yeah, I, uh, I've been invited to go next time. I'm told I will be there next time. So uh-huh. Wonderful. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, I, I like the creature comforts a bit more, so I would probably get a cabin in the caravan park, Tom. Very good. Very good. So what's going on now? It's it's winter in Australia. What's going on with your model railroading hobby currently? Um well, the 1st of July was my last run, and I had a major electrical problem. Certainly. I think what's happening is the um, now we're getting into full-blown ops. I got to a point where on one of the boosters it was running 10 or 12 locos, um, and the frog juices from Tam Valley... Mm-hmm. Um, are acting at about the same speed as the circuit breakers, the PSX circuit breakers, and the booster. Mm. And so, consequently, the booster was going down. Yes. Now, uh, I've been in contact with DCC Specialties Technical Department, and um, one thing I've learnt is that when a reverser is, is operating or when the frog juicer is... Uh, um, operating, you get a spike of about one and a half amps above uh, above that. And, of course, the uh, I've been looking in, and I was drawing 4.2 amps. Hmm. And that pushed it over the top because yes. that put it out to uh, 5.7. And, of course, the boosters are, you know, peak five. Certainly. So um, Roco's replacement system is called Z21. Mm-hmm. But replace the systems that we've got but luckily if you had the uh the wi-fi version which which don wayne and i have got there's an adapter available that works with them as well as the z21 whereby you can put in a booster with twice the capacity like a lens booster Mm. um so um i've just ordered that from canada okay um because um you know, tiny strains don't don't hold the Roco stuff or the lens much lens stuff. So um, I bought from Euro Rail Supplies, I think it is in Canada before, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they, they've got them coming in, in in the August shipment. So so my goal of getting all eight sessions run this year is um, I've let that go out the window. Mm-hmm. So um, fix things, I'll yeah. probably 
probably only get to session six this year. So, mm-hmm. um, and then um, I, I know Clark in the in the um, in the chat said I know how to fix the temp the, the temp valley <laughs> issue. Just for Clark's information, the PSXs I've got are an earlier software version, and they haven't got CV65, so I can't do it. But I do. I did buy a couple of spares when we did Wayne's, mm-hmm. and those have got CV65, yeah. albeit it's not published. So in the in the power block with that feeds the the frog juicer, um, if the if it continues, I'll adjust CV25 within that. Um, but I won't be able to use the 128 value that um, that's suggested because the lens booster clicks out at 100 milliseconds, so not 128. So mm-hmm. it'll have to come down below the 100. Um, so this is something we'll just have to play with. And um, it's, uh, yeah, this is an interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. So um, at least I can recreate the fault. <laughs> and that means if you can recreate it, you can you got a chance of tracking down and dealing with it. Certainly, when it's furious, it's hard. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. Always so, so after abandoning the layout and us all having afternoon tea um, an hour and a half early, the next running night is no longer a running night. It's a you know, come and watch uh, Trainmasters TV. <laughs> interesting, interesting, very good. Yeah. But in terms of your crew, I mean, I talked to Ross briefly. Obviously, talked to Don. Uh, Spacky, yep. um, Chris Adams is his layout. What's what's you know yep. what are the layouts that are being worked on currently? Oh, Chris is having running sessions now. Cool. So, you know, I, I think you know we've just about got the bugs out of it. We had to go back and change the way his points operated because the way we'd set it up um, wasn't suiting how the boys were doing it. So, mm-hmm. so we made them all individual now instead of um, on individual switches to go mm-hmm. uh, because. The way Chris has set it up, we've got panels at each end of the yard. So we've just used diode insulation, insulation <laughs> uh, between the panels so that, you know, one doesn't set the other one sort of thing because uh, your switches can be in different uh, aspects. So so we we went from double pole, or sorry, single pole double throw with an, with an action push button. We replaced the push buttons and we've got momentary contact single pole double throws mm. and um, that way with the diodes still in there we don't get any cross feeding so that and so that's working far more reliably now um, cool. it was a major issue when we first started we went back and did a retrofit probably about three or four months ago now okay and, uh, and that that's that seems to have solved it I, i've been crook the last time there've been set last couple of times there's been sessions there so i actually have missed out but that's life mm. yeah Okay. Anyway, yeah, the winter's got me this year. Even though I had the flu, flu shot, I ended up in the last two months. I've had six courses of antibiotics. Gosh, gosh. Yeah, a bit of a bit of one of those. I just got over. It, had ten days good. Went up and saw the boys when we spoke to you at Port Augusta. Came home and went down again. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> well, look after yourself, but, Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. And uh, yeah, we've got a few little family issues dragging up my time at the moment because. Uh, Kay's mum had another fall and ended up 10 days in hospital and mm. might, might not get home. So all the arrangements around that are taking a bit of my time at the moment. Gosh. Well, all the best yeah. with all of that. And uh, Yeah, thanks for that. And, and uh, g'day to everybody that's on. And Clark, thanks for reminding me that, you know, we we chatted before about how to fix the Tambell issue. 
And um, yeah, and I didn't get to the narrow gauge stuff which uh, this year because I'd only just got back from New Zealand. So. Yes, always good All chatting, right. Jim. Yep. Please stand the um, line. If anything comes up, you know what to do. I'll talk to you soon. Take yeah. care. Okay. Bye, Tom. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who who remains the contact with the professor, John Garrity. I saw you in a YouTube video recently. I can't remember. I want to think that it was probably Martin Jenkins, but it was probably someone else that filmed Caramel. And it was looking considerably more like, you know, less like an engineering feat and more like actually a train layout when I saw it most recently. What is the update from your part of the world? And... Have you seen the professor recently? How's he doing? Let's start with the professor. Uh, professor's still flat out like a lizard drinking. Okay. Snowed under. Uh, good. Snowed under. He is making progress on his new layout, which I think he might have... Did he talk to you about that one last time he in, was on? Or? In the purposeful room. He had a purposeful room that he was going to build a layout into. He gave some description. I remember seeing photos of said room and perhaps a drawing of where he was going to put the layout specifically. That was the last update I received from him. Okay, well work is currently proceeding on that layout Mm -hmm. uh, around his highly packed working career. Uh, I've been in contact with him over a couple of other bits of stuff uh, since the convention. Mm -hmm. At the convention he was tied up on one of the other layouts but uh, he managed to get us going when the gremlins struck again. Very good. This time, they were different gremlins. They're never the same gremlins. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> good to know. So that's the Professor update, basically. Yeah. So he's carrying on regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next get-together might be sometime in October. Okay. So okay. stay tuned until then. Yes. We have, I think, a day in Sydney, literally before we fly out. This trip is a cross-state odyssey. We will hopefully get together with Jim Gifford for a meal, or at least I will, in South Australia. But we're basically going from Sydney down to Melbourne, doing the Victorial Coastal Road up to Ordinga, where we stayed previously in South Australia, in Adelaide for maybe a couple of days just visiting, but using Ordinga as the base then flying from South Australia back to Sydney. So we will probably have a day in Sydney. I will coordinate with the professor to see if we could just get together for a meal over that time. But he's someone I always like to catch up with. And you are as well when I get the chance. But unfortunately, time this trip is incredibly limited. Remember, I'm only about an hour and a bit south. No, I I do. we're We're spending seven days in six days with the family, but we're not in the Wollongong area, um, south of Wollongong. I'm trying to think where the place is, a bit inland. Um, but unfortunately, that is all blanked out. My mother is turning 70. We're attending her birthday, doing a bunch of other family-related stuff there, and then getting out as quickly as possible. So <laughs> we'll see We'll see how it fits together. Um, but if I can just grab a meal, um, maybe either with both of you or with the professor, if it's easier, I'll, I'll work it out. Um, somehow. But yeah, it's, this trip is originally we were going to Tasmania and then Queensland and then finally Michelle just said, let's rent a car and end up in Ordinga. 
because, you know, we quite like South Australia's beaches. In fact, we're seeing a lot of beaches this trip. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's that trip. In terms of Coromel, yes. different gremlins, but I actually, I was pretty impressed with the level of scenery and things like that that seems to be, a, like, appearing. I mean, I remember the layout when it was an engineering feat, and it now actually looks more like a train layout. Yes, well... That's been the battle plan all along. The battle plan was kind of start to one end and grow the scenery and, and other stuff towards it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so we started at the low end, worked our way up the incline out to the dead end, then came back around through the water tank. Then Guy remodified one of the modules so that instead of being straight mountainside, it's now got a real deep valley with a timber trestle in it. Mm. Then we swing round Broker's Nose, which, again, is one single track pinned to the side of a mountainside before it slides away. Mm. And we even modelled the landslide where it did slide away. Then you get to the mine area. Now, uh, Coromel was steamworked between the, the mine surface, let's call it, and the top of the incline. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why Coromel can't be prototypically modelled. At the top of the incline, the steam loco would come off and run into a siding that was effectively where the water tank was. Mm-hmm. And the water tank photos, one of the definitive photos of, of the Coromel layout, that one we, we absolutely had to model. So the water tank model was by Prof. Mm-hmm. Uh, Borough was by a departed model uh, by the name of Jay Kershaw, who was Melbourne-based. Mm. And I picked that model up at one of the Melbourne conventions back Gosh. in about, 20, about 2013, Gosh. something like that. And it's based on a Barkman Percy. Mm. So the Barkman Percy had the right wheelbase, the right size wheels. The cylinders were a bit big, but everything above the running board was basically scratch-built by Jay. And it's remarkably close to full-size standards, given that we're fudging on gauge. Mm. Um, and the reason we fudge on gauge is we're modelling 7 mil to the foot. 7 mil to the foot should be 14 millimetre actual gauge. We're using HOMX because they work and because we can get them, rather than having to fudge 7 mil or 14 mil gauge mechanisms and uh, 16.5 mil stuff is, is far more readily available than dead exact prototypical rivets uh, 14 mil gauge mm. we've got enough problems trying to fight the incline <laughs> rather than trying to fight what how far the tracks are apart certainly yes what has happened i'm not sure which youtube video you saw jim gifford uh, got us in action at the or the incline part of it in action and a little bit of it of the mine with placeholder buildings. That was at the Geelong Convention uh, in 2017. Okay. I thought it was more recent than that. I thought I saw one. I'm pretty sure it was Martin. Was it Martin Jenkins this year? Yes, he, yes, he was there. Okay. So it would, I, it was, I think it was definitely this year. Okay. That one I haven't, probably haven't seen. Okay. I do keep, do keep half of, an eye on YouTube just in case someone did get it. I think Martin did. I'm pretty sure Martin did, if it is the video that I recall. Because I... Um, Anyway, we'll find it. (laughs) What is happening, the placeholder buildings are being gradually replaced. At Geelong, they were basically 
foam core boxes with mm-hmm. uh, paper prints down the side of the buildings to give the impression of what was coming. Mm. Okay, what has started to arrive is the final buildings. Uh, we didn't get them all built uh, for the uh, the last convention. It was at Erin and near Gosford in New South Wales. Uh, that's about an hour north of Sydney. Mm. We now have, instead of a, a blob of foam core with some stuff stuck around the side of it, we've got a workshop that's got one wall open to the public side. Mm-hmm. So it's a cut, cutaway workshop. The crane rails are in place. The office is in place. The workshop area is in place and gruesome details. They're not glued down yet, but they will be. We've got an overhead crane to build that will be non-operational. You know, we, as I said, we've got enough challenges. I'm blowed if I'm going to have an operational overhead crane. We'll leave that one to the guys in the UK. They do it very, very well. <laughs> they do it very well indeed, yes. There'll be some suitably banged up bits of mining gear laid out on the workshop floor. That stuff's still got to be modelled. Um, researching prototype mining machinery is an interesting sideline, mm. especially in the 1920s. Not many people realise that it is very, very difficult to get photos of stuff that was actually underground. One of the problems with coal mines is there is stuff around called methane that goes bang. Mm. If you haven't got your photo lights, photo connections, electrical cables and anything else fully flame-proof, they don't get underground. So it's very, very difficult finding old-time photos or old-time movies of what was actually done. If you do find stuff that was being done, someone's been bending the rules or the rules weren't (laughs) there in the first place. Mm. My father was a a mining engineer. One of the problems he had in ancient history was one of the miners that was using to drive headings, which is a, a tunnel for development work, kept hunting up and down. So... Yes, you could kind of drive a straight line, but mm. the, floor would, the floor would dip or the roof would rise mm. as the, this machine kind of oscillated. So one of the solutions was, and it's still in use today as far as I know in some areas for driving headings, was to get a laser beam underground. Now, my understanding is this may have been the first time a laser actually went underground. Mm. So they attached the laser to a pit prop up the end shined it down with the direction they wanted to go and put kind of a glass gun sight beside the driver. Mm. And the driver had to keep the red spot in the middle of the gun sight ring. Mm. That kept the floor level, which sorted out the problem of the machine going up and down. Certainly. So, yeah, this is just another side light. (laughs) The the amount of pain that Dad had to go through to get that that laser underground and certified by the local regulator at the time, I can remember that I was a high school kid when it happened. Mm. So um, this is why I'm fully across uh, what's involved in getting lights and photography gear underground, Mm. especially in coal mines. Silver lead zinc is probably far less dangerous, but around coal mines, everything's got to be fully flame-proofed. Otherwise, it just doesn't go underground. Mm. Right, getting back to Coromel, that was the workshop. Mm-hmm. We now have a new office mine office building. Now, that one wasn't there at Geelong. My partner in crime, Guy, 
has built that one. Again, it's just about ready to be glued down in position. The next building along was the rope store. Again, it's been replaced with a, um, an updated building. Then there's the first aid hut. Now, one of our other team members, uh, Jeff Potter, is actually building that one. Mm. It's a relatively small building. It's only about 20 foot square, but it's got a veranda on all three parts and the roof lines on it Gosh. are incredible. Gosh. Uh, one of the things that slowed Guy down on the mine building, there are 13 different segments in the roof in that building. So mm. you've got a, angles everywhere. Mm. And, and the building is a simple L. But where the roofs join, there are different heights, different angles. And then you've got a different angle on the veranda itself out the front. Mm. So it doesn't take much to kind of rack up 13 different intersection points. <laughs> Gosh. That then takes us to, we covered the rope store. Eventually, there'll be a set of racks go into that, which will be visible through the big windows in the side that face the public. Uh, and in those racks will be probably something like cotton reels that we can kind of pinch from the, another hobby. <laughs> yes. As in small spools. Yes. That, that will be round with stuff that looks like steel rope. Wonderful. Parked out the front of that will be a flat car with one of these reels mounted on it saying, kind of suggesting that it's about to go in there mm. into the door of the building. Uh, next building up is the Waybridge. Now, this is another guy creation, but in there we've actually got uh, two tallymen. I think I've covered the saga of why there's two tallymen earlier. Mm -hmm. The scale indicator and an awning over the front. So that that awning extends over both tracks that head underground. Mm. So that's on the prototype, getting stuff underground and out of the ground was covered by another powered haulage. Mm. Now, the engine house for that is huge, and it was attached to the powerhouse, which is even huger. <laughs> In A scale for the powerhouse, you're looking at a block of real estate that's about two foot square. Mm. On a modular layout, that's never going to happen. So one of the jobs I've got is shoehorning in the one of the three boilers for the powerhouse. And again, that'll be a cutaway, so you'll wind up with the side of the boiler, uh, the coal bunker that feeds the boiler, probably a couple of figures wandering around with wheelbarrows and, and shovels, and a guy trying to keep boiler pressure up, shoveling furiously, mm. or looking like, looking like he's shoveling, or he'll be looking like he's having a rest after shoveling. Yes. That's, a whole, that's a whole lot easier to model. Yes. Uh, if I was Laurie McLean, the guy would be actually shoveling. Mm. For anyone who, <laughs> who doesn't know, Google Laurie McLean. YouTube search Laurie on McLean. YouTube. Yes. <laughs> and the stuff, the animation stuff he pulls off is is out of this world. Yes. He's quite a force, uh, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And, hey, I've, as Clint Eastwood once said, I, a man's got to know his limitations and I know mine. Yes. So that covers the powerhouse. That only leaves one building to go, which is the electric lamp house. Coromel... For memory, I've mentioned the 1902 bang where Mount Kembler went bang. Mm -hmm. And 90, I think it was 94 or 96, were killed in the, in the mine explosion. Mm. Coming after that was a move to go to safety lamps, which were kind of the safety lamp everyone 
kind of associates with, with coal mining. Uh, they are a, a kerosene-powered animal, but the problem with safety lamps is they didn't give enough light for the miners to work by. Mm. So the mine owners didn't like them because they didn't get enough coal out, and the miners didn't like them because they couldn't shovel enough coal to make enough money to keep them happy. Yes. So you wound up with a push to come up with a battery-powered light. Now, one of the historical vagaries of this is periodically, or in the UK back in 1912, there was a competition to come up with a, a working battery lamp that could go underground that was safe. A firm called CEAG, now don't ask me to pronounce the German name of it, won that competition. Mm. Coming out of that competition, they then set up a factory in the Yorkshire area, not sure whether it was Barnsley, but it was somewhere around there. Oh, yes. Where they built mine lamps for a whole lot of years, and they're, they're still building lamps. These days, they're more into railway signalling and, and other stuff. So there's, there's a railway link that would be a little unintended that linked to Coromel. Now, the link to Coromel is, in the 1960s, the old lamp house building was demolished to make mm. way for a th- three-foot, six-gauge railway that went in to transport the miners. In that building were CEAG lamps that were a modification of the 1912 design that that won it. Mm. So these lamps go back to the 1920s, early 1920s, actually immediately post-World War I, the first version of them came out with a a modified top on it. Uh, Coromel used those lamps. Now, one of the things we haven't been able to find out is when Coromel bought the lamps. (laughs) that Coromel, as a mine, was a relatively profitable mine and they would be invested. So I'm betting by 1924, yes, they were using CEAG lamps and, yes, we're going to be trying to replicate some of them in the lamp house and attach to the the model miners. Mm. That's not as easy as you think. Even in O-Gage, a miner's lamp that hangs on a miner's hip is a reasonably small piece of modelling work. Certainly. So that's coming. Uh, And a lot of those lamps actually had green lenses. Now, this is unusual. You say, well, why green? Uh, There was an eye disease called nystigmus, and I hope I've got the pronunciation of that right, that was prevalent in the coal mining industry. And the only way to get rid of it was to bring the miner back to the surface and give them a a period of time up in the surface in full daylight. Mm. That eye disease basically from what I've read so far of it, was rapid blinking kind of... The symptom was rapid blinking and an inability to see well. Mm. Now, you can understand how this would kind of have ramifications underground when you're drilling shot holes and trying to tamp explosives down to the bottom of the shot hole. Certainly. Now, the disease kind of went away once the more modern batteries on the hip with the... Uh, cap-mounted lamps came in. Uh, these gave a lot brighter light and didn't overstress the eye so much. But in these days, you've got high-power lights associated with, with all the mechanised gear that's underground. So, again, it hasn't been a problem. But it appears to have been a, a, a low-light problem and humans trying to react to being in extremely dark places. Hmm. So, coming out of that will be some CEG... CEAG lamp. That was why they were such a successful design. And 
yes, I've physically seen some of them that lasted well into the 1960s and beyond. So uh, an interesting sidelight. So in the mine, um, that's the all the mine buildings laid out, and we're gradually super detailing various bits and pieces. So it, it, the landscaping's just about done. We've got uh, some trees to plant around the, the creek at the, that runs under the trestle. We're still having problems working out how we're going to do the creek under the trestle. Now, because it's on a falling grade, damming it up is not an option. So the idea of, of kind of resin pours, uh, one, we're getting problems with them bubbling somehow. We've tried uh, artist medium, mm-hmm. and that didn't work either. So uh, somehow or other, we've got a rep- and it, it may well be we just paint a gloss trail Mm. Over over the top of what we've got, mm. that that that's kind of the way it's heading at this stage, and get away from trying to produce any type of thickness or depth in the in the water. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. We've we use sandstone based paint or textured paint. Mm-hmm. So the textured paint's got a texture of of almost sand at surface level. When you try and pour anything over the top of that, if it doesn't flow like water, you wind up with air bubbles trapped in between the lumps of sand. Certainly, yeah. Now, the problem is if it does flow with water, like water, it's over the edge and gone. Mm. Somewhere there's a happy medium in there and I'm blade if we can find it. <laughs> it's a perennial problem in the hobby, yeah. Yeah, so that one's probably the last scenic item that we've got to sort out. And we're almost ready to go. We've we've got aluminium cut to stand this thing up on its own feet rather mm-hmm. than use... Uh, previously, we've been using blow mold tables to sit the thing on uh, with aluminium boxes on the blow mold tables that take the layout up to the various heights that it should be. And this layout effectively has got probably three different layout or support heights that we need. So that's been an interesting engineering exercise for a start. Then again, we've got uh, Prof Guy and myself working on it. So mm. that's that's next up. That's probably more than enough from me. Wonderful. Always a pleasure catching up. When you do see the professor in October, please pass on my regards. It'd be wonderful to get him back on the recording at some stage, but I do appreciate his new job and also this layout room. I mean, it'd be wonderful to get him on just to get a layout room update. So I know he listens to this thing, so I'm just leaving it out there for him. If he can spare a few minutes for a layout room update, it'd be much appreciated. It sounds like you've got a lot of stuff to do, John. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, keep you updated as it happens. Will do. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, out and gone. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who, who claims that the heat is as bad in Canada as it is currently in California. Clark Cooning, what are your updates? Well, it is hot here. Holy <laughs> mackerel. Uh, we haven't turned the air conditioner off in, uh, I don't know, three weeks. <laughs> Very good. So what's and, new in the model railroading hobby for you? Well, uh, I was out in uh, Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm at the uh, national convention and it was a terrific convention and what a great location for a convention. Mm. 
Um, the prototype tours, everybody that went on them were fantastic. Uh, they went up to Promontory, watched the reenactment of the uh, Golden Spike. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the best clinic of all was the Mong of the Masters clinics. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were very well attended. Uh, several of the uh, listeners, like Jim uh, or uh, Mike O'Dorney, were there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, all had a great time. So it was a terrific week. Uh, just really fantastic. I'm a little concerned about some of the manufacturers, the really small manufacturers, starting to uh, retire, and there's nobody mm. nobody coming along to take their place. Uh, mm. Northwest Short Line um, and a few others. So um, I'm quite concerned over all this, but uh, hopefully we'll get we'll get through it. Well, Tim Weiris is pulling up some of the slack, right? We just need well, more Tim Weiris's, right? Yes, I. We need to uh, maybe push him for a few more. Uh, <laughs> the other thing about Tim, uh, he did get a, uh, oh, I forget. This, I think it was the DSA, the Distinguished Service Award to uh, the As hobby. As he should. As he should. And uh, he's, that was well-deserved. So, no uh, question. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, it's onward and upward uh, to, I guess, St. Louis next year. And, mm-hmm. then, uh, and then your part of the world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I had correspondence through the week with Model Rail Radio's own Dave Falkenberg. I look, he wants me to convince the organizing committee to do a twenty twenty one podcast. Right. Now if there's anyone who could do it, it's probably me. But if there's anyone who has a history of distancing NMRA folk when I talk about podcasts, it's also probably me. So somewhere through there we've got to work out a calm medium. But if Dave Falkenberg's on it, my view is it's going to be happening. So I'm going to meet a couple of gentlemen, I think, at the Narragage Convention. Are you going to be at the Narragage Convention, Clark? No, I'm uh, not really going anywhere. Uh, I'm going to just stay at home and mm-hmm. uh, get out and do fishing when the weather Very isn't good. baking. Very good. <laughs> Tim Morris, anyone anyone we know going to be at the Narragage Convention? Uh, I think, um, well, uh, one of the fellows that sort of helps Tim out uh, will be there with Mount Overscale Lumber. Mm-hmm. And uh, a new tool is called the Ultimate Sander. Mm. And I'll tell you, if you haven't seen it, go on the website at uh, fasttrack or handlaid.com. Mm-hmm. And it is worth every penny. I got one uh, before I went to the convention. And, oh, man, I'm, <laughs> I was really impressed with it. So uh, going to be sort of a quiet fall for me. I I uh, going to enjoy just hanging out at home. Actually, I. Uh, been working on my layout. I haven't done anything over the summer, but mm-hmm. it's all the track is in. It's all cool. wired. It's all running. Mm. I've had two op sessions, and it seemed to go very well. So um, I'm going to continue in the f- early fall just working on running trains and making sure there's no bugs. Mm-hmm. And then I will uh, start the scenery uh, in earnest probably November, December. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well. It's incredibly hot here as well, and I'm finding it hard to... I'm not sure what it is currently, but in my podcasting room, it's always hotter. Because now they painted over the windows, and I can't even open a window in here. So Uh, It's going to be 32 Celsius tomorrow here. Mm -hmm. For our other friends, that will be (laughs) about uh, not quite 90, I guess. Yeah, it's been in the low 90s. I think it's about 93 currently here. Yeah. And that's and outside. 
in the and podcast we got a room. lot of humidity here. Yeah, well, we could argue about this, Clark. But in any case, <laughs> time to wrap up the show. A pleasure talking with you as always. Pass my regards to your crew as well. I will. Thank you. Do peace and take care. Well, another packed model row radio, ladies and gentlemen. I started something new on the Facebook group. In the past two weeks, I think we've had, I don't know, maybe 30 plus people join the Facebook group, as is the standard. I'd like to see more participation of the people that joined the Model Rail Radio Facebook group in the podcast. So I literally named almost all of them. Some of them, they were Chinese folk with Chinese character names. I didn't name them. Some of them had multi-barrel names, which Facebook wouldn't actually resolve. But out of that, I think I named a good number and just said, hey, we actually have this podcast thing that you call in for. We record a podcast, we put it out, and this creates the community that you are currently joining. Let's participate. So I put that out this week. Unfortunately, no callers from that group of folk, but I will do the same thing next recording. My anticipation is I'm traveling to the UK. I think I might cancel a recording just before the UK, update everything and get a recording when I come just back from the UK, which I think is the way it's planned currently. Really looking forward to getting to the UK, obviously, seeing our friends down in Kent who are actually wiring cranes and radio control cars a bunch of other eclectic stuff, but also just having an opportunity to enjoy the UK. Then back here to the Narrow Gauge Convention, 10 years of model rail radio. I was debating actually creating a, a T-shirt or two, perhaps, to celebrate 10 years. And then onwards to the end of the year. I did want to send a shout-out. Ben Mikado Otter was a gentleman, I think he was in his late teens when he last called in. He uh, was selling a bunch of deceased estate items. And I have now here a collection of Markland trains, which I am going to model potentially rural Germany. This could be a shelf layout, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you very soon. But yeah, it puts together some of the historical stuff that I can do. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, of a particular kind, but certainly pre-war Germany, beautiful set of trains, which need to now be shown on a shelf layout. So... Coming very soon, some additional discussion based on that. I'm measuring the distances. I have about 10 feet worth of shelf available for this particular endeavor. So after not a decade, maybe, I don't know. I don't know when I last had a railroad. <laughs> maybe at least eight years, let's say. I had one in Vegas when I started to record this thing. In fact, I had a couple in Vegas when I started to record this thing. But certainly many, many years since my last layout. Really looking forward to it. Measuring the space visually as we're talking today. Thank you very much for everyone who's called in today and thanks also to the folks for listening in. Good afternoon. Thanks, Tom. That's thanks, a wrap. Woohoo! I definitely think we should uh, do shirts, Tom. Okay. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, ten years. I'll, I'll get something offensive. Put it on a shirt. Uh, ten years is the... How about a shirt with all the cats on them? No, oh, that's a bit extreme, I think. And I, I would immediately lose potential people that would be interested in wearing the shirt. I think maybe just like some kind of large rubber stamp that says 10 years or something like that. We'll work it out. Well, yeah, I'd Or even, a, even a button. I'd buy a button. <laughs> Model Rare Radio, 10 years on the air. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Let's do something like that. Oh, you know, 
It will you know be how the Boy Scouts have merit badges? Yeah. Boy Scout merit badges. <laughs> Mikey! Yeah. yeah. Shouldn't that be virtual air? Yeah, virtual air, yes. <laughs> On the electrons awesome. for 10 years. That's awesome. Bye, yeah. guys. I'm going to go. Okay. Talk to you soon. Take care.